Blog Talk Radio. Another big week in sports. Of course, Jim Bozinski, for some reason, is nowhere to be found. So I guess I will text him to find out where he is. Uh, But it was a big week. Derek Gordon came out of the closet publicly on OutSports and ESPN. And uh, and now we have Jim calling in. (laughs) Jim, good of you to join us today. Well, I got bumped off somehow. Your screener did a terrible job of screening my call. <laughs> but, well, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Blog Talk Radio is one of us has to call in as a host, and one of us has to call in as a guest. Blah 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 blah. Anyhow, welcome to the show, Jim. Welcome. Are you? Are we on alone? <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll be joined. In about ten I thought minutes, I heard like another voice. Did you, were you mimicking? I thought I heard a third voice there, a second voice there. Well, I, I, you know, I, I am a Gemini, but I, I've never been accused of having two voices. So I don't well, know. Unless I'm on a different show somehow with a different host. So go ahead. <laughs> yes, we'll we'll be, we'll be talking cooking today on the uh, cooking show, and uh, anyhow, so 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 Anthony Nicodemo uh, will be joining us in about ten minutes. He was with Derek Gordon when Derek came out to his team at the University of Massachusetts. The two of them have spent a lot of the last couple of weeks together. They've become fast friends. Anthony's a former well, he's a high school basketball coach who came out on Outsports last year. If you want to call into the show, it's 347-945-7834. So let's just dive right into to Derek Gordon. Uh, you know, Jim, it, it's interesting to me to see how the story was was picked up by the media. And, you know, it was a big story for us, but it wasn't Michael Sam, it wasn't Jason Collins, it wasn't even Connor Mertens, a uh, college football redshirt freshman kicker in a Division three school. What do you well, make was it, of that? Nor was it a Virginia swimmer. No, it was a, a photograph of. Well, it wasn't a photograph of five shirtless, five swimmers in speedos at the University of Virginia. That's that's, that's true. going to be tough to beat. Uh, now, well, for starters, uh, if you have not read Sid's story, it's wonderful. It's extremely well done, very in depth, kind of behind this, not just behind the scenes, but just about this guy's life, and uh, it's a great story. Um, and in terms of the media reaction, uh, I was I'm a little surprised it didn't get a little more attention. He's the first Division One college basketball player to come out. But then when I thought about it, there are like 368 Division One programs, so that's hundreds of athletes. Um, and it's not the same sport as college pro basketball. And plus, we're you know just a couple of days away from the championship ending, and I'm just wondering if people sort of the, the timing in terms of the media was kind of like you know people were just kind of done with their college basketball for the year. But also, I think a pro sports athlete, you know, like even the New York Times says, he is believed to be the first openly gay Division One. People still have a little bit 
a smidge of spec skepticism in case there was someone years ago that nobody knew about. But with the pros, you know for a fact. There's nobody ever been in the NBA until Jason Collins, for example. So that is a pure first. And I just think it shows maybe in some ways the hierarchy of sports in this country. If if, if um, Derek had been the quarterback for the University of Alabama, a uh, much bigger story. Sure, in terms I, I, of the I media think... attention, even if it's the same, literally the same story, it's simply a bigger thing. But uh, I mean, what do you say? I think it just shows a lot about the the, you know, the sports hierarchy in this country. I think there's also, and, and was interesting, you know, as you saying, a couple of days after the national championship game. I think that's part of it. I think that at some point there becomes a bit of fatigue on on stories and once the national championship game is over college basketball is over if this had happened in february well we rarely recommend that athletes come out in the middle of their season but if it had been in the middle of the season or or just leading up to a season i think that that there would have been more interest but there's just kind of fatigue and come the national championship game connecticut wins and the men's and the women's and people are kind of done with college basketball stories and and you know the the flip side is on the other hand, on the other, excuse me, on the other hand, Michael Sam came out a week after the Super Bowl. <laughs> that didn't stop right. anybody from, and during the Winter Olympics, so and that didn't stop everybody from, you know, basically stopping the presses and, and talking Michael Sam nonstop for a couple of days. I do think it's, you know, it's the NFL slash college football versus college basketball. Well, I I, I would say a couple of things. One one. I, I think I, I I believe that the fatigue story is is the fatigue angle is a factor. I think it also has to do with coming out stories. Like there's been so many of them so far this year, and and there are going to be a lot more in out sports. I think the one place where that kind of trumps fatigue is the NFL. I think just the NFL is king. It's the most popular sport in America. I just I think that that the NFL uh, Michael Sam transcended fatigue because the country is never fatigued of yeah. the NFL. Yeah, they they released a preseason schedule yesterday and it gets coverage. It's a freaking freaking right. preseason schedule. Um, you know, what are the big games of the preseason? So yeah, it shows you that there's almost you can't get enough NFL. So if Michael plays, he's the first, and then the second will get a lot. Of, I mean, even the second, third, and fourth will still get a lot of attention just because it's the NFL. It's it's the king. Uh, but back to Derek's story, though, it just it's interesting how these work. And I wrote a column about it where I said it's not there's not a direct cause and effect. Jason Collins didn't cause. Derek Gordon to come out, but he clearly inspired him. And I th- think if you can talk about the inspirational angle, because Derek kind of knew he wasn't alone. He had said he had been reading out sports, if I believe, and had just read about other athletes. So he knew this was possible for other people. Yeah, for sure. De- Derek had, uh, said he'd been reading out sports for years, and and he got a lot out of you know reading about other gay athletes coming out, and and he, he said he would he would read it. To see specifically if a if a college basketball player had come out, and and so he knew about Derek Shell and and obviously Jason Collins and 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 so and he he did get inspiration from from those people, but I think the greatest inspiration to him came from actually meeting people and seeing their lives, meeting Wade Davis, 
meeting Anthony Nicodemus, spending a couple weekends with Anthony at his house, hanging out with him, meeting his friends, going to Pennsylvania and meeting Brian Sims, who's an elected official and was the, uh, the, the captain of his college football team, and meeting these people in Agonis. He saw the lives of out gay people, and, and that is what really drove him. When I first talked to him, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks ago, or two weeks ago, however long ago it was, this was in the future. This was months in the future. And very quickly after he started hanging out with these people, it became weeks and then it became days and then it became, I'm doing this right now because he saw how happy they were. So I think it's inspiration not just from reading stories and people he'd never met, but from really actually meeting and seeing these people. Well, we had Jalen Messersmith on last week, who's another out college basketball player, and he said, interesting, that his coach said Jalen played more comfortable this year. And this was Mm -hmm. after Jalen, but he had been out the season before to his team, but the fact that he was kind of out to everybody now, it, it, it has this liberating effect, and I think Derek is going to find the same thing this year. That you know he doesn't have to worry anymore about hiding it and about eating alone. And but talk a bit before you get anything out about this whole thing that he was mocked when he denied he was gay. Then when they found out he was gay, one thing I was unclear about were they mocking him because they were mocking gay people, or were they mocking the fact that he was denying something that they thought was obvious to them? I asked Derek that very question, and and what he said is he felt that if he was out to them, they wouldn't necessarily be teasing him. So, so he he thinks that it was it part of it was the fact that he was denying it, and and the fact that they really believed that 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 this was this was likely the case, and and as guys do, they were needling about it. So, so they think that it was that Derek thinks it was. It was some certainly some some homophobia going on there, but if he if he had just come out, he thinks that maybe there wouldn't have been the teasing. And 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 he said when he came out, um, it you know he some of the he said looking out across some of the faces, the guys who had been the most brutal were some of the guys who seemed to be the most affected by what he was saying, and so guys kind of got wow. We took it too far. We didn't mean for it to be so personal. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think I think that listen, we, we we talk to so many athletes who will get teased or hear this homophobia. And when they come out, they stop hearing it anymore. Yeah, and I do think I, the more I, I, I I've seen examples in my own life and probably even through flag football where some guys who deny they're gay and no one believes them because they think it's obvious and they don't care, so they tease them more for trying to pull a fast one in their minds. And necessarily because they're homophobic. And I'm wondering, sounds like it was sort of like this in the same case. Like, hey, just come out and we'll be fine, but don't deny that you're gay. You know, it's kind of an interesting take on it. Well, somebody who was there in the room who can talk specifically about it is the the gay whisperer in charge of basketball, Anthony Nicodemo, head basketball coach of Saunders High School. Anthony, how's, how's, uh, how's the weather in New York? As cold as I left it? 58 degrees right now. It's absolutely beautiful and balmy here in New York. People have their shirts off and running around. <laughs> Anthony, we were just no, talking. Yet. Even though, even though last week at UMass it was like 48 degrees and all the uh, all the guys were in shorts and t-shirts walking around, which I found amusing. But I don't know. 
Well, I'm going to interject a second, Anthony. You know, I tied you in the Outsports pool for second place this year. Did you, you know what? I lost, Obviously, this thing happened with Derek, and I completely haven't checked one pool. I couldn't tell you if I won. Who won it, more importantly? than second. Oh, some guy named Jeff. And everybody, basically, when all those upsets happened, everybody's points got frozen because nobody got anything in the Final Four because Florida went out and uh, Wisconsin went out. So whatever it was before the Final Four, but I looked up. Jim, who didn't watch any college basketball, tied the great basketball guy, Anthony. Well, bow down. I guess it just shows that's what gambling is all about sometimes, huh? Yeah, yeah. And if Arizona had won, I would have won the had won one game, and they would have won the thing. But <laughs> oh well. Well, Anthony, you were you were in the room when when Derek came out to his team. And again, for those listening, if you want to call in and talk to Anthony or us, we're at three four seven nine four five seven eight three four. You were in the room when Derek came out to his team. Uh, just Describe to us the vibe in the room and, and the reaction of, of some of these guys who had been teasing him about potentially being gay for all those months. You know, I, I think when you go into that room, obviously you, so everyone knows something's up. You know, I know when I did it and my kids saw the principal and some other people in there, they like, what's going on? And, and I think the room was the same. You know, when we walked in there, not only with the coaching staff, but with members of the athletic administration, members of the media, or members of the, uh, you know, the sports information people, and then myself and, and Wade, people are kind of like, what's going on here? And, and I wrote this earlier, um, a red shirt from uh, Mount Vernon High School, who I've watched play since he was in eighth grade, he's one of the better players we've had around here, has a good chance to start up there next year. And I sat down next to him, and he looked at me, and I think his face almost dropped, like, what are you doing in the room? Um, so, you know, once Coach Kellogg broke the ice, I think, you know, I like I'm, the thing that surprised me the most was the teammates kind of being like, we knew. Like, I was like, oh, really? You know, I, the fact I knew that the rumors were there from the Instagram photos, and, you know, Derek obviously had shared that with us. And I just was surprised at how casual everyone was with the fact that they knew. And if they did know and they still loved the kid, why, why was there such, un, you know, why was everyone so uncomfortable with it? Like, that's my thing is everyone, you know, Derek, puts it out there that his teammates were so uncomfortable to the point where they weren't showering with him. And when, when, when that came out in the locker, in the locker room, how, how private he had been, um, I think that's the most powerful tale is, you know, how this closeted life just completely alters everything we do um, on a daily basis. So I have a follow-up on the question. So if they were uncomfortable with him when they suspected he was gay, would it not be logical that they would be uncomfortable with him when they know he's gay and don't want to shower with him anyway? Or, I mean, that's I'm a little bit want to put my wrap my heads around this whole idea of the, of them mocking him in the discomfort, and now he's out. So wouldn't they even be more discomforted? You know, when the process all began, and Derek brought this up, and I said to him, "Listen, you know, your your teammates are going to embrace you." That's the first story he told me, the Instagram photo, and my response was, "D." I said, "Listen, you got to understand something. They're mocking you because they think you're straight at a gay bar." I said, "So the, that's oh, that's opening up the joking. That's what brothers do. That's what friends do. Oh, you're at a gay bar. You're straight. What are you doing there? Ha ha ha." I said, when they realize that you are there because that's your lifestyle, they're going to embrace it. I don't know if I have an answer on the shower part. You know, I just, I, I you know, like you just said, and I agree. I don't, you know, wow, well, now that you know that you're gay, we're going to be okay with it. 
You know, I don't know if that was more maybe Derek being a little paranoid from being closeted, which I think, you know, those who have been certainly have that paranoia. I know I did, you know, whether it was getting caught or whatever it may be. Um, And I think maybe it's more that than them actually being uncomfortable. You would hope not because, like you said, why would it change now that you're out? If you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable. Maybe the fact that they know for a fact now it somehow makes it. I mean, it's it's an interesting scene to follow coming this fall when you, when you talk to him to see if that dynamic, which I assume would change, but why would it have changed? But I'm interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100. percent I mean, I think that that comfortability is so big, and you know, I can just talk about my own story and. You know, nothing changed at my team. My team, in fact, is more comfortable than they've ever been, almost too comfortable sometimes. You know, my team is very, very inquisitive, and they ask questions, and they make jokes. And even now, as this is happening with Derek now, it's very becoming even more comfortable with it. You know, they make jokes now about certain things, and I blow like, how do you guys know this stuff? Like, and, you know, it's they're comfortable with it. They've never dealt with it. They're comfortable with it now. And, you know, I think that's the way it goes, and that's what you kind of hope happens with, with Derek is that the team now – kind of sees what goes on here. They read the articles, then they go, holy cow, this is my friend and my brother, and look at the life he was leading. You know, we got to rally around him. And I was so proud last night when I, you know, got home, and Jabari Hines was going to, you know, has a good chance to be the starting point guard up there last year, a transfer from West Virginia put out, you know, you're my brother, DG, and we got your back. And, you know, I tweeted back at him and said, I've known you since you're an eighth-grade kid, and to see you do that means so much to not only, you know, Derek, but to me and to anyone else in the community to have that kind of an ally. Well, we we say over and over again that, the most powerful force in changing people's thought process on gay people is gay people coming out because you get to know us as people first. They get to know Derek as a player and a person first, and so they have an emotional bond so that when he comes out, it takes you know an issue that they don't really think about much and it brings it home in a way that they want to understand. They want they don't want their, this person that they like to to feel bad about it or hurt about it, and, and there's no there's nothing else in our movement that that has that effect on people that can that can transform uh, the the tone of a locker room simply by saying this is who I am. Correct, and. and- I said, you know, yesterday when your article broke and, you know, I don't have the juice, I don't get privy to these things ahead of time, so I have to wait till it drops to read it. And I think if you read your article in particular, and I kind of put that out there to my social media, is this is the article you got to read. And it's funny because I actually tweeted it out to, you know, Fran Frischella, who works for ESPN, who I know very well, was the former coach of St. John's. Um, I tweeted it out to Adam Zagoria, who's the former um, New York Post uh, sports editor, and both of them tweeted back at me and said, Ant, thank you very much. That's unbelievable. Because I thought your article did a really good job of portraying what Derek had gone through and the pain that he faced on a daily basis. You know, here's this kid who, who was a good-looking kid who felt like, you know, like a professional athlete, and he carries himself with a swag. Yet at night he's crying himself to sleep. If that doesn't open people's eyes, and not only his teammates, but anyone's to go, holy cow, like what is going on here? This is crazy. That will. Because here's a hardened kid who grew up with a tough life you know his family life is is amazing when he tells that story about his brother and yet he's crying himself to sleep because he's closeted or because his teammates are shunning him that's a powerful story i mean if that doesn't get it i don't know what will all right we have we have somebody calling in anthony you want to take a phone call sure it's from the 402 area code i don't know where 402 is Where, where is 402 
It's actually a Nebraska area code. Nebraska area code. Well, you're on with yeah. Sid and Jim and Anthony. Who's this? This is actually Eric Lucian. Oh, oh hey, Eric. Yeah, former openly gay Husker. Yes, who owes me a story. What was that? I said, who owes me a story. Oh, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, get on that. Oh, well, Eric, I what's, am. Uh, you've, been, you've been through this before. You've been... Uh, you've been out in a, in a college locker room, and, and we've been talking about the, the difference that a locker room, uh, the different tone that it has when somebody's when there's nobody gay and when somebody is gay. What was your experience with that? Yeah, that's actually what I was calling um, in response to. Uh, yeah, like my, my initial couple months in college, I was out, but not really to the team. The team didn't know. No one had asked me. And so those first two months in the locker room, the, it was a lot more uncomfortable. People, I think, assumed I was gay, and therefore, they, since they didn't know for sure, they were more uncomfortable being around me. But as soon as I did come out, that all changed, in the locker room especially. Um, I mean, there was some homophobes, which took a lot longer to you know, open up and accept that, but the locker room setting definitely improved once they were aware that, yes, I am gay, and eventually, as Anthony um, said, people started to ask questions and make jokes, even in the locker room. And then got to the point where they'd be chanting my name sometimes as I'm walking into the, the shower, just, just teasing me, just being funny. But I also wanted to note that there was a closeted player on the football team as well at that time. And everyone knew he was gay. However, no one... Um, had known for sure that he hadn't, um, I guess, disclosed this, um, it was a lot more uncomfortable for them to be around him. So it was but, uncomfortable um, for them because he was closeted. Yes. And, well, why, um, Eric, why, that, why is that? I mean, you would think they'd be more uncomfortable once they knew the gay person was there. What was it about knowing your identity and not knowing his that, that dealt, that had the uncomfortableness issue there? Well, in the words of, like, from former teammates of mine, what they would actually say about that is they felt uncomfortable around him because he was always hiding who he truly was. So they didn't really know how to respond to what he was doing, like, especially when they saw him with a girl trying to act like she's his girlfriend, they knew he was living a lie. So it was almost like, how do you um, authentically approach someone and be honest with them when they're not being honest or authentic to you. So I think that's what made them most uncomfortable with dealing with a closeted um, athlete, whereas dealing with me being open, they already knew, you know, my entire story was out there. I was being true, truthful and honest with them. Therefore, they could be truthful and honest back with me. Anthony, is it your sense that that, that 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 that's what was going on at UMass, that they were really, they were really sensing a, a lack of of honesty there that made them uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world when Eric tells it that way because, you know, I, I think the one thing, you know, with, within teams is there's that trust, and that's coaches and players and managers and everyone else. There's that trust when you're together. 
And if you don't have that trust, you don't know how, how, to, how to approach it. So in Eric's case, they knew how to approach him because he was out there where – in Derek's case, maybe maybe they didn't. And, you know, it's funny, Eric brings up, you know, the girlfriend. And, and, you know, Derek told me a story last week where, you know, in the fall this year, after the Instagram photo, he had his ex-girlfriend come up to campus and stay with him for four days to try to throw the story off. Now, if the players ultimately know that he is gay, but he's not admitting it, then obviously that they're not going to be comfortable with the trust factor there either. And it's not like they can joke about it because when they joke about it, he gets offended and says, hell no, I'm not gay, you know. So I think that makes all the sense in the world if you really, you know, sit down and analyze it that way. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things that, that, that I know we've talked about over and over again is is how, and, and I think Anthony, you hit the nail on the head before when you said that essentially life in the closet distorts our perspective of homophobia in sports. That we're not, but by staying in the closet, athletes aren't allowing their teammates to express how they truly feel about 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 gay people. I remember when um Wade Davis who's who was also, you know, a, a great mentor to to Derek and who runs the You Can Play project right now. When he came out, uh he had some former teammates in the NFL including Javon Curse kind of text him and say, "You know, I feel kind of cheated. Like you didn't you, you didn't trust me. You didn't you didn't give me the opportunity to to really show you how I feel, I, I just you know I didn't I didn't know what was going on. So uh, you know I think that's I think that's a, a powerful piece that that every time people come out in the locker room, the locker room changes because guys really don't feel the way that, that that the closeted athlete kind of has the impression of how they feel. Well, can I ask that Eric question? and Anthony a question? Um, if you could both chime in, and something Sid and I have talked about is that. Okay. Michael Sam, Jason Collins, Derek, big names, they've all been black, and yet the perception in the gay community for years has been that the black community is the least accepting, the most homophobic because of religion, et cetera, and yet we've had the pioneers have all been black people, and in a sport like basketball where it's predominantly from Anthony first and maybe Eric, is there is there any dynamic there that we're missing when uh, those of us in the gay community assume, oh, black people sort of by and large are more homophobic? Um, are we, in essence, stereotyping ourselves? I, I, yeah, totally... I, mean, listen, I, I teach oh, go ahead. and coach in an African-American, a minority community. You know, a lot of African-Americans, a lot of Latin, Latinos. And when I came out, the parents that embraced me were all African-American immediately. My kids, the majority of them are African-American. So I'm in the African community, all the African-American community all the time. And I've never seen or heard or had any sense of that at all. Now, obviously, I'm an African-American, so from that sense that there's something there that's different. But for me, some, being someone who's constantly around minority kids, I, I mean, I haven't seen any of the homophobia that we talked about. Yesterday, I played in a charity game with, you know, I don't know, there were 20 guys in the game, and 17 of them were African-American. My assistant coach is African-American. And I'm in there with the locker room, whatever's going on, and I haven't sensed any difference in the community there, where I see the difference is when I go to schools to speak and I speak at a school that is mostly minority, there the conversation is very different. I did one on Monday, and I barely could get the kids to open up. I did one at Bronxville High School earlier in the year, and the Bronxville kids are going to Notre Dame and Princeton and this place and that place, you know, basically, uh, you know, 99% white. 
then the conversation was definitely better there. So maybe it's the fact that it's not talked at as much at home and that kind of thing. That separates and changes the conversation. But I think once it's there, I just don't see the difference, like I said, from someone who's in minority communities all day. Eric? I I actually totally agree with you on um, your points there. But I I do think that in in the Caucasian community anyway, especially the gay community, that we are perpetuating the stereotype that, you know, there's more homophobia in the African-American community. Actually, the teammate I was talking about who was a closeted homosexual was African-American. And I don't think because of him being black, that was why he was, you know, why the other players were more uncomfortable being around him. It was solely because he was closeted and not being honest with himself. So Anthony brings up, I mean, a great point. Um, about yeah, how we are perpetuating that stereotype. I don't think there is much of a difference. Well, it's just an interesting dynamic that, that Jim and I have talked about. I've talked about it with Wade Davis and, and, and other people, and we can't figure out what the answer is. When you look at the high school, and I use the term lesser sport, meaning not, not the big four sports in college. Um, the people coming out there are mostly white, but the elite-level athletes in the pros, in college basketball and college football – the people who are coming out there are people of color. And it's just such an, an odd, stark dynamic that we're all – it's a trend we're all seeing where the younger athletes coming out are white and the elite athletes coming out are black. And we don't know – it's just it's such a bizarre thing. I haven't heard a good answer as to why. I don't even know if I can give you a good answer on that. That's That's a very good question. Oh, well, Eric, thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. And uh, oh, get welcome. Jim that story. Well, and oh, Eric, we, we, Eric I, we, do, we will have you on as a guest uh, maybe for the college football season because your story is fantastic and it would be a good setup for college football. So I hope you can join to. us again. Yeah, definitely. Just, you know how to reach me. You have my email and Twitter and phone number. So, Got it. All right. Well, have right. a great day. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, and also, just for Eric, Eric stood up and uh, was lobbying Nebraska legislatures on a, 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 sec, uh, a gay dis, uh, anti-discrimination bill that was filibustered. But uh, you're going to get him next time. <laughs> I already disconnected. Oh, I think he left. Sorry. So yeah, he'll he get had, him next okay. time. <laughs> but uh, they they had the votes to pass. It was filibustered in Nebraska Senate, and uh, but Eric yeah. is stepping up and, and doing good work. So. Tim versus Ron Brown. So, Anthony, you're doing uh, a bunch of good work there. You're having a um, – next month in, in Westchester County, I believe, you're having a, a leadership summit in conjunction with the You Can Play project for high school basketball players. Kind of tell us how that came about and what it's going to look like. Well, I think, you know, obviously since since I came out, you kind of sometimes – my buddy last night who's a city councilman here in Yonkers and – He's gay, and he's, he's a big, big uh, gay marriage rights guy. You know, he's very close with Edie Windsor, and he's got a ton of the line to the president. And he sent me a great quote last night, and it was something to the effect of sometimes you do things because you think, and all of a sudden you become a leader in a movement. And, you know, I think that's what happened here. I think that everything I've done in my life, I lead. In the basketball community, I lead. In school, I lead. So I, this was not going to be any different, and I think – when the role that I'm in, it's a chance to, to change things and try to change the culture. And one of my feelings is that I think athletes are way to go. I say this all the time. The kid going to Princeton because he has 2,000 or 2,400 SATs, 
that kid's not on the front page of the newspaper, but the kid that scores 35 in the basketball game is. And I think that's our culture. So the way, to my mind, to attack this, at least at the K-12 through 12 level, is through the athletes. I think that if we can get the athletes to buy in, it's going to trickle down to the rest of the school. So what we're doing is we created this leadership conference at my coach's association, and uh, we're going to essentially invite a captain from every, every team in our association, which is about 80 teams, and from the, the girls' side as well, and they're going to come in for a day of workshops and lectures and whatnot. Um, you know, Wade's going to open it up as the keynote address, and we know he can get the crowd going, and he's very good at that. And then we're going to have three workshop sessions. We're going to have a social media workshop session about the dangers of social media, which is a huge problem locally in every aspect of the world. I mean, earlier this year we had a kid tweet out and call a local reporter a faggot, and there's been some racial stuff, and just it's a huge problem that kids don't understand. So we're going to attack that. We're going to bring in Go Athletes to do the anti-bullying portion. Um, hopefully we can get Derek into that now. You know, James Nutter from Maine. Um, and we're still working on one of the females. And then we're actually going to have Patrick Burke and one of my mentors, uh, Henry Sassone, work on writing an inclusion policy for the association. Um, Pat Griffin's going to come in and do some coaches training and, and that kind of stuff. So we're going to try to head it all around. We actually invited the, the director of uh, the New York State Public High School Athletic Association. He's supposed to come down. We've invited some principals, some superintendents, and I, I think it's going to be something that we hope to take and then make it into a mandatory session for all athletes in all sports at the beginning of their season or all captains or something along those lines, you know, depending on how it goes. You know, and Anthony, I think it also helps to now have real-life examples like Jason and Derek, that it's, you're not just talking about theoretical people coming out. You're talking about actual people who have, who have done it. And I think it's going to have a lot make make your make what you're doing much more powerful because they're not talking theory anymore; they're talking reality. You need people that the kids can relate to, and you know my kids. If I talk to them about or show them something about Johnny Weir, my kids will get coached out of your mind. But when mm-hmm. I brought up Jason Collins, they get that. You know, when they walk into the room, and, and it's going to be very diverse because you know we have Scarsdale and Bronxville around here, and then we have Yonkers and Mount Vernon, so two very different communities that's going to be mixed. And when it happens that way, you're going to have, you know, um, James Nutter in there, you know, who, who's from rural Maine, and if there is, uh, it has to be rural. There's no urban Maine. Rural Maine, and who has such a great story as a high school athlete and then a college athlete, and then you throw Derek into the mix as well, who's an inner city kid, who's played, you know, played with Kyrie Irving and Michael Kidd Gilchrist. The kids get that. You know, Derek was with me in an AAU game this weekend with my kids, and, and they get him. You know, they, tweet, they were tweeting at him last night because they get him. And I think that's the important part is that we have to bridge the gap so people understand these kids and are around people that they know. They'll get these guys, and that's why I kind of mandated these two kids have to be there because these are the kind of kids that can reach the kids that we're going to have at this thing. Well, Anthony, another uh, kind of the, from the other angle—not just what the, who the kids respond to, but also who the adults respond to—is you're trying to get into some of these school districts and get coaching associations to pay attention to this issue. How much does it help to be able to say, "You may not think you have gay athletes, or, th- or this is an issue to deal with, but look what's happening." Derek Gordon has come out. Uh, Jason Collins has come out. Uh, Outsports has these other stories of all these gay athletes. How much does it help to have for, to, to kind of get in the door to have these these examples? You know, it's funny. I was in communication with the National Association of Basketball Coaches, which essentially every college basketball coach in the country at every level is a member. And 
not that they stonewalled me, but they definitely didn't really want to deal with it. And right after Michael Sam came out, I sent him another email, and I said, listen, do you see what just happened here? I said, this is coming. I said, I know for a fact a Division One basketball player and a Division One coach who this is going to come, and there's going to be media, and they're going to come to your coaches for quotes. I said, you guys need to be prepared, and I got an answer. And I even got a request to sit down and meet and discuss the issue at the Final Four. It just so happens with all this craziness going on, it's the first Final Four that I've missed since 2003, and I wasn't there. But now that Derek's story's out, I'm actually, I'm actually going to email him in a little while and say, hey, I told you this was coming. Let's deal with this. And almost see if I can even get into the room with their executives in, uh, in May in Indianapolis. But um, I definitely think that when you have something tangible in front of you that they can see, you know, it makes much more sense. I don't ever get nervous when I speak. I can speak in front of 5,000 people, and I don't get butterflies. And the only time I've gotten nervous since this all happened was when I had to address my peers at the first coaches' meeting and say, hey, we're doing this conference, and, guys, you have gay players. Whether you want to know it or not, you have them. And there's gay kids on your team that are going home and crying at night. And this was before I knew Derek. And we need to change things, guys, because we're not doing the service by these kids. And, and I think they get it. And, you know, now that the season's gone and we've had a great season and I've been out to dinner and at meetings and everything's fine and wonderful with these guys, I think, I think they get it. And uh, the response from the athletic, direct, uh, athletic directors and coaches, and we were planning on 200 people. I got a call yesterday saying you might have to have 400 people. That's how, how much the schools have responded to this thing. So they're getting it. It seems like the athletic administration is understanding that this is out there and they're willing to certainly try to tackle the issue on their end. What about uh, – would you say we have more, a little more time or we're – I'm not sure what Yeah, else. yep. Um, about coaches. I mean, we talk about players, players, but there's only one – there's no openly gay college, Division One, Two, II, or three college basketball coaches we know of. In women's sports, there's only Sherry Morell – um, do you hear from other coaches, and what are why why are they still not out? What di- what dynamic keeps them in the closet? Uh, I mean, it's the fear of one person stopping you from coaching. I've been since I came out. I've been in communication with a football coach from New England high school, and he will not come out. He's petrified. He said, "Nope, nope, nope." School won't, the school won't support me. And I've been in contact with a basketball coach from Virginia who's told me the same thing. And these, these guys have the fear of not coaching. I think in high school it is different. I think the dynamic's different. You know, when I came out, one of the first stories locally that broke was, well, a guy in a park said I was sending my kids to Saunders, and I'm not sending them there now because I don't think my kids should be coached by a gay male. And my response, which is more – much more out now than before. I was very simple. Well, I don't want your kid. You know what? Send him to a different school in Yonkers because guess what? We kicked the – well, I can't curse on the air, but we, we, we dominate teams in Yonkers anyway. So you want to send him somewhere else, let him go somewhere else. And I said that to my kids. Hey, do you want to play for the gay guy or do you want to play for the guy who's straight and loses every game? And in high school, you don't have those choices. If you live in a town and that's where the kids go in school, the chances are, unless he's really good and then you can send him somewhere else. But, you know, you're kind of locked in. So I do think it would be easier at the high school level – I think the college level, basketball-wise, is a complete different dynamic. I think that there's so much negative recruiting that goes on that having a gay coach on staff is such an easy way to say, hey, you don't want to go play for that that guy. And eventually, if two or three kids who are religious or whose parents are against this go that route and those three kids end up at a different school and that costs uh, you know, a league title or an NCAA tournament berth because of that, how long are you going to be around as a coach for? Because in the NCAA, it's all about money. 
You know, and that's on the male side. On the female side, we've had the conversation, you know, Sid and I and other people, where we know for a fact that, that college coaches don't go play for that coach. You go play for her. You know, she's a lesbian. That's craziness. But that's what you're dealing with, I think, when you're dealing with money. And in the college game, uh, it's a very different dynamic. You know, I say this all the time. If I left Saunders tomorrow and I applied for another job, would I get the job knowing that I'm an openly gay male? I don't know if I would. I, in the back of my mind, am not sure. And I've said to people, I wouldn't get another job right away. Even though I've been successful, even though I know what I do, because I think that some administrators wouldn't want to deal with even the remote possibility of having to deal with this type of problem. And I think in the you know, the NCAA college basketball is the same thing. It's about winning. And if there's going to be something or someone on your staff or, or something, someone on your staff is a – listen, every staff in America has to have an African-American on it. That's the way it is. Now, that's not to say – I've heard people, college coaches, the black assistant, because they have to have that because if you're going to recruit African-Americans, you've got to have an African-American there. So if it comes down to a white coach or a black coach, the black coach is getting the job in that case for that reason, even if he's not as qualified. And that's the example here. I think that, you know, if it comes down to the gay coach or the straight coach and the gay coach might lose one recruit because he's gay, and even if it's a slim chance, they're going to go the other route. So the question there becomes, is coming out at that level on the male side at least, you know, is it suicide for your career in some ways? So do you think then that, guy, yeah. that guys self-select and don't go into coaching because – Man, to be closeted your whole life for a lot of people would be impossible. Do you think, or do you think there's people that simply say, "I'm going to live this double life my entire life"? I think there's people that do both, and I think that knowing, I think at the end of the day, there's people that live that life and live torturous lives. But at the same point, if you're a lifer in the in the world of basketball and that's all you've done, play and coach, that's all you know. So you're not willing to give that up. And yeah, on occasion you go home, you're depressed, you, you go out to the gay bars, and no one knows and then you dive back into the other world. But that's a brutal balance, you know, and that's – I never felt that that terrible feeling. I just didn't. Derek did. I know other coaches who are coaching at NCAA right now that feel it, that read Derek's story and, and are completely depressed about it from their own end of saying to themselves, hey, you know what, this sucks because I can't do this because if I do, my career might be more difficult. And it's a difficult decision. You know, if you're 35 years old – you know, I knew that if I didn't coach, I still make a very good living teaching. I was never going to lose my teaching job in New York. So no matter what happened, I would get through it. But if that's what you know and that's how you make your living, and there's a possibility of losing your living because of it, unfortunately, that's a really tough decision to make, especially if there's a family involved. You know, it changes the whole dynamic of everything. All right, well, Anthony, we appreciate you uh, you catching up with us and, and sharing your experiences with Derek and we know that you've got other things in the works, so good luck with the with the, the leadership conference, and, and we will see you in Portland, right? I appreciate it. You know how I'm spending my evening tonight? I have a good evening plan. I have been invited. Well, every year I'm invited, but I'm going to the referee's dinner. So I get to go have dinner tonight with about 200 uh, basketball officials, which is always amusing, and uh, it's the one time of the year where I can get up and make jokes about them and not get myself in trouble usually. So that's, I was going to say, curse, curse up a storm, and they can't do anything to you tonight. It is very true. That is very true. <laughs> no yelling, Anthony. All right, well, thanks for calling, and we'll Great talk to you soon. All right, guys, take care. Bye. Well, we just have a couple minutes left, Jim. That was uh, it's always good to get these people who are in sports or been in sports and come out in sports, and they just have such a, a great perspective. Like, they really they get it. They've been through it. They've been in the closet. They've been out, and they know the difference between the two. 
Well, I think it's interesting with Eric calling is we didn't give him enough background. He was out in Nebraska in 2003. This was 11 years ago. And, you know, one of the most conservative states in the country. And uh, so he's definitely going to be – we'll definitely have him back on just to talk even college football and his experiences. But, you know, it is funny. We keep hearing how it's impossible we hear people in Kansas. <laughs> we had Kansas, Missouri, and uh, Nebraska – Michael, Sam, well, Jalen, and, and Eric. I mean, places, you know, we don't have people at UCLA or Berkeley. We have people in Kansas and Missouri and Nebraska. What's that about? Yeah, I keep, be, I keep being asked. Oh, isn't it, it's so much harder in certain places, and I keep pointing to Alan Gendro. Um, he was in the middle of oh, Tennessee. Tennessee. There you go. Most of his team knew, so it's, it's not that. Kobe Bryant said faggot in Los Angeles, so it's not just location. All right, Which well, is another story, all, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, all right, well, that's about all the time we have this week. We will check back next week. Who knows who's coming out next week? <laughs> uh, but definitely listen in then, and, uh, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>